Welcome to Blockspaces Live, the podcast where we help real people solve real-world problems with blockchain and Web3. All our episodes are recorded live, which means you're welcome to attend yourself, to ask questions, and be a part of our community. To get your invite, head to blockspaces.com slash podcast and hit subscribe. In today's episode, we chat with Rosa Shores, co-founder and CEO at Blockspaces, and Chris Tyler, chief product officer, to better understand how businesses are using blockchain alongside their existing software stack. Keep listening to find out why Web3 doesn't mean the end of legacy business software based on Web2, to understand the challenges faced by business leaders who are working on implementing blockchain, and to hear why scams and fraud in crypto shouldn't convince you that blockchain is a bad technology. All right, let's get started. Before we get any further, I want to give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves. So Rosa, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? And then, well, Chris, we'll ask you to do the same. Yeah. So um, Rosa Shore, CEO and co-founder, as mentioned, um, been in this space since 2012. So a very longtime adopter. Um, obviously, there was nothing in 2012 but Bitcoin. Um, so kind of watched the evolution of this whole space over those years. Um, and started doing some custom development and consulting out of Blockspace's original kind of iteration, which was really an innovation hub for startups and people and developers that were working on projects in this space. Uh, we started doing a lot of custom development and consulting in the 2017, 2018 kind of area. A lot of that was incoming businesses that were first interested in adopting this technology. And we saw, you know, some moderate success with that certainly some proof of concepts that were uh that that showed fantastic efficiencies and solved lots of business use cases we are a very agnostic kind of mind frame at block spaces and so we think there's sort of this spectrum of blockchain now so we don't really align ourselves with one uh component or another within this sphere but we really saw that there was some massive challenges certainly with web2 developers what we call web2 developers or de enterprise developers um, deploying these kinds of solutions in-house without the need of having some sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, consultant or custom development going on. Um, and we just felt that that was a big uh, problem to be solved in this space in order for some of those proof of concepts to do something other than just show a lot of great efficiencies for the mangoes they were tracking. Um, so we wanted to create something that was easy for enterprise developers to use, um, like I said, develop potentially proprietary applications for their businesses and then easily integrate them up into their legacy applications. We think this is a world where those two kinds of technology stacks are going to live together for a really long time. So in a nutshell, that's it. I also am the former vice president of the Florida Blockchain Business Association. We focus on uh, lobbying for reasonable regulation in Tallahassee around this technology. Uh, also part of the Ag Innovation Working Group, looking at how blockchain can be used within the food supply chain, um, as well as um, a member of the Blockchain Task Force for the um, uh, National Produce Marketing Association. So a lot of focus on uh, a business applications for this technology. So Rosa, you've uh, been in the space longer than most. And certainly uh, when you say, when you talk about people being obsessed and interested in a, in a topic that uh, you fit that bill um, yeah. <laughs> probably better sure. than anyone. So cool. Chris, um, can you tell us a little bit about your, uh, tell us a little bit more about your background? Yeah. So um, I've been in software, software development and software sales for 
gosh, 30 years now. Um, I spent the last, or the prior to coming to Blockspaces, I spent about 16 years with IBM, uh, working a lot with their data and analytics uh, portfolio, working actually with software vendors that were going to integrate those. So I have a very strong integration background. Uh, since about 2016 or so, I was working with IBM's blockchain group as well, um, which is how I came to, to meet the, the Blockspaces team and Rosa and Gabe. And um, anyways, saw some of the successes that IBM had in the blockchain world, um, but also a lot of the challenges that they faced. And Rosa mentioned a few. We'll talk about a few as we go. Um, but, you know, as looking at how is blockchain uh, as a technology uh, going to be used in a business world? IBM's very <laughs> business is their middle name, right? So um, anyway, so how, how is blockchain going to be brought into businesses to improve business processes, improve transparency and so forth? Again, saw some some great successes, but saw a lot of challenges as well. We'll, we'll address some of those. Uh, here at Blockspaces, I am Chief Product Officer. I'm working on some of the great uh, technological products that we're bringing to market, right? That integrate <laughs> blockchain into business processes, right? So how do we make it easy for these businesses to adopt this great technology? So a little bit about myself. Yeah, really interested to dive into that later. You have such a unique background being within IBM, working on the blockchain side of things. And now you're of course on the outside and can kind of give this, give us that external perspective. So yep. excited to, to learn more about that. So, all right. Thank you both. We're going to, um, before we kind of dive into the topic of today, just a quick, quick reminder on the format, we're breaking our session into two parts. Um, the first is an interview with Rosa and Chris, which Drew and I will lead. And then a bit later on, we'll shift gears uh, to an AMA and opening things up for, uh, for questions that you all might have for Rosa or for Chris. Um, so if you want to take part in that, it's very easy. All you have to do is just click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen and drop your question in at any time. There's no need to wait until the end or until we shift gears. Once the you know that that thought strikes, strikes drop it in the Q&A, and then Dana's going to moderate those questions for us um, when we get to that point. So, all right, onwards. Rosa, I want to start with you. Uh, as you mentioned, you've spent many years you know, working with enterprises that were trying to use blockchain in you know, one way or another. And you know, one one observation we talked about this a lot, you know, ourselves um, is we've just seen how much media coverage there is at the moment about crypto and speculation and all the drama that's been happening with you know, the collapse of exchanges and bankruptcies and whatnot. Um, you know, we're recording this in November, so we've we've seen a, a string of this throughout the year, not just FTX. Um, but I think what's overlooked in all of that, you know, beneath all the speculation in crypto itself is the fact that um, there's real utility that blockchain offers and, and real world problems that it is solving and is designed to solve and can solve. So once you walk us through why you think there's so much attention paying, pay, paid attention to that very narrow corner of the space. And if I'm a business person thinking about blockchain, what do I actually need to pay attention to instead? Yeah, so it has definitely been an interesting year, although not necessarily the most interesting year. Um, I think that 
I think that one of the things that people lose sight of in these things is that blockchain, starting with Bitcoin, is an actual technological innovation. And what did that technological innovation solve? Like what, why, what makes it an innovation? Um, and all of that, you know, was kind of brought to the fore with Bitcoin. Bitcoin becomes a really important conversation. Anytime you talk about blockchain, whether, no matter how you feel about Bitcoin, you have to recognize that that was the beginning of this technological innovation. And what that solved really high level was kind of two kind of longstanding computer science problems, uh, double spin problem, which means how do I, how do I take something that's in a digital form and make sure it's not copied? If I, if I take a picture of myself and send it to Drew, he can send it to Dana, he can send it to Chris, he can send it to anybody he wants thousands and thousands, millions of times. He can copy that piece of digital information over and over and over again. The other thing that was always a computer science problem in a digital world is how do I, and, and, and even a larger world, is it's called the Byzantine Generals problem. How can I get consensus around a group of participants who I need to collaborate with on something, but I don't necessarily trust? And so these are kind of like computer science problems that had existed since computers existed um, that computer scientists were trying to solve. Bitcoin solved both of those problems in this unique kind of technological way. And, and really the innovation of Bitcoin took a bunch of existing technologies that already existed and just made the, put them together in a very unique way, um, which solved those two longstanding computer science problems. So in, in those two computer science problems that I just called out, if those things are solved, you can think of all kinds of different ways across a digital environment where that problem might be a problem. Um, and now we have a technology that it can at least put forth a solution to some of those problems. That brought forth a ton of innovation around all these different ways that this can be used. When you think about cryptocurrency, all cryptocurrency is, or all it's really supposed to be, is part of the consensus mechanism of the blockchain. If you think about what I just described as that Byzantine generals problem, how do I get a group of participants to collaborate around truthful information when I don't really trust any of these people? <laughs> you know, and, and that can be trust. I'm not talking about trust like because it's my grandma. I'm talking about in a business environment or with a group of participants, how can I trust? So cryptocurrency is simply a consensus mechanism. It allows for why would a group of people that are strangers that don't necessarily trust each other, why would they participate in this single source of truth ledger. Well, in the case of a crypto or in case of blockchain where there's cryptocurrency involved, it's because they're being awarded cryptocurrency. So that's their that's their incentive to participate. That has been uh, that has been taken to extremes in some sort. That has been that technology because it's difficult to understand. We're talking about a different a technological innovation that most people don't understand. That, and because it's difficult to understand, it's easy to corrupt and it's easy to manipulate. It's easy to like, uh, you know, kind of put blinders on people they can't understand. So all they're seeing is, hey, this is like funny Internet money. And if I if I you know put my life savings into this or if I mortgage my home, I'm going to make a bunch of money and I'm going to retire to Belize. And so we have like a lot of people flooding into this, what we call like mercenary money, the mm -hmm. quick capital. How can I you know, how can I get rich? How can I win the lottery? How can I go to Las Vegas and win on the slot machine? And so it's like that kind of thinking that has spawned things like FTX. Um, did crypto, the notion of crypto make that environment possible? Perhaps, but that's not the, that's not the problem of the technology. That doesn't, that doesn't distort the actual use case and value of the technology and all of the different ways that this can be utilized and will be utilized uh, in the future.
now and in the future. Yeah. So I would say pay attention to it insofar as that's an interesting headline in the same way that you probably paid attention to, you know, Theranos going down, but we didn't all of a sudden say, well, I, I actually can't really solve anything from getting somebody's blood. Well, yeah, you can just because you have a bad actor and just because mm -hmm. you have someone that has kind of corrupted the system for some reason, again, it doesn't, that's not, that should not be a reflection of the actual technological innovation that blockchain is. Right. Yeah. A lot of it reminds me of the kind of criticism you heard in the early and mid nineties around the internet, you had all these dot-com companies that, you know, were over-invested in so many of them went, went bankrupt or were no longer relevant. And it didn't mean that the fundamental technological innovations of the internet didn't have merit. Obviously they did. Otherwise we wouldn't be doing this, this uh, call over zoom, but, um, they would, it's easy to conflate the two, right? And see, oh, if a dot-com company is going bust, that must mean the internet is going bust. What you're saying is just because the the people have kind of distorted or misunderstood or maybe been even willfully ignorant of the reasons behind crypto and, and they've distorted its its um, its use case and that's led to things like speculation and the collapse of exchanges. That doesn't mean that the fundamental technological innovations you just described that Bitcoin led Th those are still there and they're just as solid and 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 relevant as ever and and it's through time we'll start to see those use cases and that utility come to light and some of this speculation you know kind of fade into out of the, out of the picture exactly and by the same token i would say you know, we, we saw a lot, a lot. And Chris, I don't want to steal your thunder because I know no. this, this is a great, this is a great thing for you to chime in on. But we were there, we saw, you know, I was there for the Ethereum token sale, right? Like I, I was there. And so I know that there was a lot of interest in how can we use smart contracts? How can we use, you know, Ethereum-based products? How can we use Hyperledger Fabric, which was a, which was a protocol that was uh, kind of put forth in 20, I, uh, 15, I think it was yeah. by the Linux Foundation. So, um, you know, how can we um, leverage this technology? There was a lot of pile on from businesses that were like, I want to be the first to use it. I want to be the first to use it to proof of concept. IBM, of course, completely productized it. Um, Hyperledger Fabric, which is an open source protocol. But that when people say IBM blockchain, that's 99% of the time, that's what they're talking about. But um, so how can we productize this and then just smash it in like we do every other technology and they did very successful proof of concepts that then failed. And people are like, oh, see, blockchain doesn't work. But that is a complete misunderstanding that when you're integrating a blockchain solution, it's not just about like, you know, kind of like putting in that little piece of technology. You are talking about how do I incentivize the network of participants? How can I get all of these, the rest of my ecosystem onboarded onto this protocol? How can I, there's, there's a business thought processes that have to be put in place and changed before you can actually have a successful Bitcoin a blockchain solution. And so just because that thoughtfulness was not put in to the proof of concept, that is also not a reflection of the technology. That is a reflection of this is something totally different in the world now. You have to think about it differently. Yep. Yeah. And that's yeah. some of the challenges that we saw with the, you know, the proofs of concept that IBM was involved in, right? They were highly successful from a proving the concept. But when you went to go and try and operationalize that and scale that up to include more than your handful of participants that proved the concept, there was no incentivization. There was, you know, no figuring out of, okay, how are people actually going to use this 
within the business process that this is supposed to improve, right? There wasn't a lot of thought put into that. It was like, look, we've got these large, uh, you know, uh, enterprises that have limitless amounts of funds that, hey, they can drive this and everybody will come. Well, no, the people that want to potentially participate, there's no incentive for them to participate. There's no way for them to actually participate um, that, that makes business sense. So, you know, that's why some of those proofs of concept, while they, they did prove that things would be better, they couldn't get it to scale up. They couldn't get the adoption that they needed, right? So, Chris, remind me of what, what years were you at IBM? So I was at IBM from, gosh, basically like 2005 to 2019, I think, 2018, 2019. I was working with IBM Blockchain, which is built on Hyperledger Fabric um, from about 2016 to 2019. Um, actually was introduced to it by a partner of mine that, uh, you know, he wanted, he was in the healthcare space and wanted to actually start leveraging that for um, the, the movement of uh, patient information and movement of funds, right, for the payment of services and so forth. He wanted to leverage blockchain for that in the, the healthcare space. And he was asking me about it. I'm like, what's this blockchain thing you speak of, right? And yeah. so I started digging in and I was like, wow, this is really cool. I, and, and that spawned me getting interested in blockchain and and voila, and now I'm here, right? So I'm right in the thick of things. But yeah, so there's a lot of different industries that are looking at this technology and healthcare. I worked in the the digital digital rights and for, for music. Um, of course, supply chain is probably the biggest one, but... Uh, lots of different industries were interested in it. And again, it's it's trying to figure out, okay, what business processes make sense to be in blockchain and who are the participants and how do I incentivize them to participate? Yeah, that's really interesting. So you were there and then you had someone else inform you about blockchain and you had to ask what that was. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what, just as an organization, what was at that time, you know, 16 to 19 mm -hmm. working on blockchain itself, what was... As an organization, how did IBM view blockchain? What was the culturally, how did they understand it? And I'm curious how that contrasts with what you've seen since you left and worked with, you know, pure web three companies. Yeah. So they really, you know, they, they were one of the largest contributors to the Hyperledger project, right? So, um, and in particular, Hyperledger Fabric. Uh, they they had a few spawned off projects as well, but Hyperledger Fabric was the key one that they were mm -hmm. mainly the, the contributors to that open source project. And IBM immediately built a brand around it, built a whole product, built a whole marketing thing. I think it was actually part of the Super Bowl ads back in 2016 timeframe, right? Um, that, you know, everything was going to be changed because of IBM blockchain, right? And like Rosa said, people immediately started referring to Hyperledger Fabric as IBM Blockchain. It's like, no, 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 no. IBM Blockchain was a service and so forth built on Hyperledger Fabric. But I mean, they they all you know jumped in, right? This is going to be this is going to change IBM, and they had a huge organization 
anything from sales, marketing, uh, they were throwing money left and right at trying to pump this whole offering up. And like I said, they had some great successes. Walmart is probably one of those. And uh, thanks to IBM and, and the, the, the cooperation with Walmart, Frank Yiannis is now what head of the FDA in the government because of the work that he did there at Walmart with food safety. Um, but uh, anyway, they, they spent tons of money on like teaching people about blockchain or in particular Hyperledger Fabric. They had whole development methodologies that would result in these million dollar proposals for people to adopt blockchain. Right. And they had some large customers, you know, probably the 90 plus of the Fortune 100 were working with IBM to, to adopt uh, Hyperledger Fabric and blockchain in their in their business processes. And they had the, those successes, but they were always within that small group of participants around the main consumer of that. Right. So Walmart had like their top tier suppliers that would adopt it. When you went to their whole supply chain, it's like, what's in it for me? You know, I'm a small business, small distributor or something like that, that uh, what do I get out of it? And now I got to integrate my systems into that. And there was no way for them to do that. They couldn't afford it. They didn't have the technological resources and so forth. So it, that's yeah. where it started to struggle. So what do you think a lot of be... what you... Good, Drew. I, I was just going to ask, what do you think could be done by the Walmarts or the IBMs of the world to get there to, to, cause you, you mentioned, it's basically like the, the big company in the middle adopting the technology and they have trouble getting everyone around them to, to adopt it with them. What do you think can be done by the Walmarts or IBMs of the world to get all their partners adopted as well? Well, that's the whole reason I came over here. Right? <laughs> was, you know, I was like, you know, this has got to be easier. They were charging, you know, at, at bare minimum, it was like $30,000 just to do a very simple integration into a, a, a system, right? right? And, you know, that was the onboarding, basically. Then you had to pay somebody to actually write code to integrate this. And they never really thought, okay, how can we make this fit in with the business systems that a lot of these these smaller providers actually work within. They they just said, no, you're going to use this brand new UI we built, which means you got to get out of the system. And they just said, no, we're Walmart. We can make you do it this way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 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 to be fair, there is I also am a mentor at the University of Arkansas Blockchain Center of Excellence, which is sort of like ground zero for Walmart blockchain. Um, and, you know, there are many efforts that there's no like misunderstanding within that world of what the problem is, right? It's just been, like, how do we solve it? The tooling and the infrastructure doesn't exist. Like if you are a developer that's sitting in an enterprise and you want to connect two systems, you have so many choices, so many choices that it's, it's commoditized now, you know, the MuleSofts and the Zapiers and the Trays. But like, how do you connect two completely different technology stacks? that need to exist to solve specific business problems. And I see, and I know we're going to do Q&A later, but I see do companies have to abandon 2.0 to go to 3.0? Like that is sort of the assumption that a lot of businesses, a lot of Web3 companies are making now, that there's going to be like this, I don't know, like there's going to be a day, 1999, the whole world is going to turn to like Web3, you know, just like it did with like the, the Y2K rollover, right? Like it's going to be some sort of event. And now we're all Web3. We don't think that's going to happen like that. In fact, I'm positive that's not going to happen like that. It's going to be 
I don't even know. I think it's too early to say that this is even going to be a transition. We actually suspect that these technologies are going to have to live in harmony for the world for many years to come. We've never been in a time where we're talking about going from one type of web-based infrastructure to a completely different type of web-based infrastructure. So we propose that this is going to be not just a multi-blockchain world, but a multi-web world where these sorts of uh, technologies have to live you know, in harmony for quite some time. Businesses just don't operate like that. They just don't turn off what they've been doing for so many years. There's businesses that still haven't adopted cloud. We consulted with businesses that were still doing paper manifests and literally writing, I mean, not even doing Excel spreadsheets, like like literally uh, paper. And so this technology uh, assumption that all of a sudden we're going to be Web3 seems seems very pie in the sky to me, not realistic at all. Yeah. You look at some of the Web3 technology, right? And, you know, if if you're going to try and just transact with another business, it's like, oh, well, give me your public key. And it's this big, long number. And it's like, oh, well, how do I know that's you? And there, there's a lot of this for uncertainty with businesses. And how do you make that world fit sort of into a way that businesses understand, right? And that's what we're all about, right? Is how do we, how, how do we make that transition? How do we make that uh Tip, dipping your toe into the Web3 world, much less painful and much more understood in a way that you understand it. How can I work within the business system that I'm working within, but yet get the advantages of all this wonderful uh, blockchain technology that I can share share information, you know, secure certain information. I can easily transact and I can subdivide assets and I can do all these things that that blockchain brings to a business process that no other technology does very well, right? It does it quite well. And, you know, how do you reduce costs from, you know, business processes? I think in, you know, IBM had another project, right? That was in the transoceanic shipping that proved they could basically eliminate paperwork from the transoceanic shipping, which saved not only time, but tons of, of manpower, tons of, uh, of potential fraud, tons of potential risk of not having one piece of paper would hold a, a, a product, you know, a whole shipping container in port for weeks, which meant that whatever was in that that shipping container could potentially spoil, could potentially uh, be at risk, um, and then lost revenue. So they, they showed that you know just by adopting this shared ledger technology that they could they could improve those business processes to the tunes of billions of dollars you know every year. So yeah, yeah. And the other thing that was is really interesting to me is that we saw and we still see that you know this technology spurs all sorts of creative innovation and there's lots of incredibly brilliant people in this space the smartest people i've ever met in my whole life and and they they are developing these really awesome solutions uh kind of in a vacuum a little bit or they're developing them very vertically integrated like i think i'm a business and i'm going to create a supply chain solution for whatever and because i'm the latest and the greatest i'm going to use blockchain and so i'm going to go down sell out my application that does track and trace i'm going to go to this company they're going to use my application that solves this track and trace component and it's backed by blockchain so company buy my product and integrate that that single application up into your business okay well 
Blockchain is a technology that incentivizes a network of participants now and, and solves this kind of problem that we have of these desperate systems, right? That there's all kinds of different things going on and nobody is communicating on a single ledger. So now when you do that and you vertically integrate like that, or you just have an application that vertically integrates and it doesn't allow for integration across multiple blockchains, potentially solving multiple business use cases in a single, in a single business process like supply chain. I think about supply chain. You have supply chain finance, you have track and trace components, you have logistic components. That's not necessarily all the same blockchain, but it does need to integrate seamlessly. So how can we how can we live in a world where there's multi-blockchain, multi-web, um, and we're not creating dis we're not recreating the problem except now on a blockchain? Because if you just have a single integrated solution that doesn't that doesn't coordinate with anything else around it or doesn't easily integrate, you've replicated the problem that you were trying to solve on a blockchain, yeah. which is arguably mm -hmm. worse. So um, so we really envisioned, uh, you know, interoperability is kind of the name of the game right now. There's a lot of, I see Polkadot mentioned over here, Cosmos. These are blockchain protocols that are trying to solve this problem of interoperability of multiple blockchains, but that means that you have to adopt Polkadot or you have to adopt Cosmos. There's always this kind of feeling that in order to do, to solve this problem, we have to adopt an entire new technology. And now like everybody's going to do it. So these are problems that we're looking to solve with an integration tool that acts more, that, that can replicate interoperability, uh, but allows you to use multiple blockchains uh, within your business. Yeah. I think there's a couple of quick takeaways that I want to touch on just to make sure that our, our listeners are kind of uh, capturing these things is you, you guys kind of touched on both of these, but I, I want to call them out explicitly. One is you talked about this, like it's blend of like web three technologies and web two technologies. And there might be some, some pockets or, you know, some folks who have this view that like it's either, either, either or, right. Like we're going to shift our organization over to web three and, and all of our technology is going to build, be built in that space, or we stay in the web two world what you're saying, Rosa, and what you're saying, Chris, is it's really about, you need both. And there's there's great things that blockchain does, but there's things that blockchain isn't good at. And so there's probably, maybe some people will disagree with this, but there's probably going to be a need for centralized, you know, web two type products and services for at least the next, you know, for, for the foreseeable future. That's not going away anytime soon. So it's not about shifting. It's about incorporating these things together. And I think the other takeaway um, is, you know, Web3 isn't, a, there's not like a clean definition of even what Web3 is. So Chris, you talked about Hyperledger Fabric, you know, a private, or, you know, when we talk about permission blockchain. Permission blockchain, yeah. Yeah. So that's different from other protocols that are open and public. Yep. And so if you try to get a clean definition of what Web3 is, and you try to box every everything into, into one or the other, you're going to get some gray areas. And I think people need to understand too, that there's different, you know, manifestations of web three and blockchain that are designed for different things and, and um, taking a kind of a purist view or, or this, like the fully, the, the view on the end of the spectrum where everything is public, you know, on permission that that's not what we're talking about either. We're talking about a spectrum of technologies that do different things. Yep, yeah, definitely. and I mean the, the the full promise of Web three is that the the data gets transferred to the individual, right? And so we've kind of lived. That's like the ultimate promise of it. 
Um, and really the only kind of technology that can solve that problem is blockchain. I mean, we just, you know, when you talk about web, web, web three broadly, like, and how does that even relate to blockchain or crypto or anything like that? It just means that we're moving into a world in which the, the information, the digital information uh, is in the, is in the hands of the, of the user, so to speak, or the consumer or the person that's actually using it. That's like the ultimate promise of it. That's why you're constantly hearing about decentralization. And, you know, if you're remotely to Chris, when you hear not your keys, not your coin, this is all about like, you are in control of your finances. You are in control of your data. It, it, it becomes, how can we, how can we move into a world where these centralized data sources or these centralized systems of control um, are, are kind of flipped on its head and the user has more, uh, more control of their um, data and resources. So yeah, and whether you know it or not, right? When you shop on Amazon or you do any Google searches or whatever, right? You're giving up some of your data, right? And you know there are companies that use that for building machine learning models. They generate you know value off of your data. I worked with a company when I was at IBM that tried to flip that model where you could own your data and you could actually sell that data to companies that wanted to use your data for building those machine learning models for the targets and the, the Walmarts of the world and the Coles and so forth. Right. And so it flipped the model. Now I own my data and I could actually sell it to you. And depending on what bits and pieces you wanted, right, there was different value. If you want to know my address, well, that's, worth a certain amount. And if you wanted to know my birth date, maybe there's a, and, and anyway, the blockchain technology allowed the, the owner of that data to actually delve that out to whoever they wanted, whenever they wanted, and then take it back when they were done, you know, and if they didn't want them to have it anymore, they could take it back. And it's, again, it's a piece of, it, it's that double spin, right? You can't do it. I have this asset. If I, lo if I loan it to you, you can see it while I give it to you. But then as soon as I take it back, you don't have a copy of that information, right? So, you know, that was some of the things that, that uh, I worked on as well at IBM. So we had some interesting projects. Yeah, and, and Rosa too, um, as someone like, because you're a member of different organizations, like you mentioned earlier, that are close to this. So I wanted to ask, um, do you see any potential role for like legislation or regulation in terms of getting blockchain technology, either public or private, mass adopted? Like what, what's the role you see there, if any? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that companies are watching or what would make them even pause is this, you know, what is happening with the regulatory environment? And that doesn't necessarily impact, the only way that it would impact anything that's somewhat of like what we call a permissioned blockchain would be, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm utilizing something that's utilizing a smart contract, is the contract legal? Like, you know, so it's, it, it, it can, regulation can impact it to that degree. Like, the things that were um, the things that we're deploying on these blockchain solutions are they recognized as a legal contract or whatever? So those are some sorts of legislation that might you know uh, broadly affect like uh, private and permission chains. The, when you start hearing about like the massive regulation coming and it's coming, 
Um, you're talking about public blockchains and crypto for sure. And, you know, things like, you know, what is designated a money transmitter? What is designated a security? Um, you know, I think that if anything, FTX and BlockFi and all of this stuff that has happened this year, if anything, it, it will absolutely hasten. Regulation is certainly in the U.S. Um, you know, the U.S. is walking a really fine line. We're already behind. We're behind the world in innovation on this technology. So, the thing is, is that because it's like a, it's a global phenomenon, right? Like you can just move, you're a company, you just move somewhere where the regulation is, is more aligned with your business, right? So we don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to lose that kind of innovation in the United States. So regulation becomes imperative for anybody who is not just interested in putting this technology forward, but for anybody, I mean, and this is going to sound like so patriotic, but it's like anybody that's interested in making sure the United States make sure and stays ahead of this technology, regulation should be incredibly important to be take, keeping an eye on. So um, I do feel like regulation will come very fast since this, I mean, it's been bubbling up anyway, but um, I think that what has happened this year will push that forward. Uh, probably, I mean, I'm not a lawyer and I'm certainly not um, you know, a regulator, but um, my uh, my very strong feeling is the vast majority of these crypto projects will de be deemed securities. And if they want to do business in the United States, they're going to have to comply with securities laws. That will not apply to Bitcoin. Bitcoin has already been deemed a commodity. There is no way they can deem that a security. Well, they can do anything they want, but that's not going to happen. It's, it is sufficiently decentralized. Who's, who are you going to subpoena? <laughs> there's nobody, there's not a CEO, there's no company. And so it is effectively uh, decentralized enough to where, you know, it has been deemed a commodity, but it's the only one. Cool. Yeah. Lots to pay attention to. I, I saw just the other day, Belgium made some decision about certain cryptocurrencies that are classified as securities and certain cryptocurrencies that are not classified as securities. And I, I think Bitcoin was one that was not uh, classified as such, but that's, that's a good point, Rosa. Like there's based on the protocol you're using and what you're using it for, there might or might not be legal implications. So a lot of nuance to unpack there, a lot to pay attention to. All right. Well, we've had a uh, few questions come in and I want to make sure we uh, have time to, to get to those. So Dana, do you want to share what we have queued up for us? Today? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a question directed to both Rosa and Chris. And it's from Michael, and he asks, when categorizing the spread of blockchain tech today, the most common comparison that comes up is the spread of the internet in the 90s. As a 10-year full-stack dev, he sees it more as a comparison to the early 2010s when businesses started, started adopting cloud infrastructure. His question is, do you have a go-to comparison of your own that you use when describing the shift we're seeing? I think it's, I mean, I think that the innovation of blockchain, of course, came about because of the internet, right? So, I mean, we're here where we are because of that. The cloud comparison is perfectly fine. It really is a comparison to any emerging tech. I think the main reason that the, the, the internet comparison comes up so often um, is because it's just a massive shift in how we do business, like how we think about how we do business, whereas cloud is, you know, kind of a, a next generation up a storage component of this digital information. Uh, you could, you could, I guess you could potentially say that uh, blockchain is the next innovation of like a digital database, but I think it's more of a, sh a full shift in how we think about 
doing business, you know, hate, literally hate to age myself when I say this, but I was actually a digital analyst at HSN before I left and went down this journey in blockchain. And, um, and I did kind of two tours of duty at HSN. The first one was in the broadcast division. And I was literally there when they launched HSN.com and sat in a boardroom and listened to them talk about how ridiculous it was that nobody was going to buy anything over the internet. You can, how can you smell perfume? How can you dry on clothes? It's like a literally ridiculous. What are we going to do? We're just going to buy it to preserve our name. We're not going to do anything with it. And when I left HSN in 2017 to, to start block spaces, um, they were doing, I don't know, 80% of their business on e-commerce. So like these things come very fast and furious, but it had to create, it had to be a complete shift in thinking about new ways to do businesses, new ways to monetize new revenue generation, new efficiencies that we're, that we're finding out that we can actually leverage this technology. And so to me, the comparison to the internet is probably more fair. I, I, I would definitely agree. Right. And you look at just... I remember writing the AT&T's very first web-based payment system back in like 1997, 98 timeframe, right? And, you know, that wasn't that long ago, <laughs> but then you look at how we use the web today, right? Where you've got all these web services and you've got the, the, the not only the RESTful APIs, but the RPC call. And it's just, we don't even think about it, right? You got all of your devices are interconnected, you know, the, the IOT and all this stuff came about because of the way we thought about the, the communication, you know, over this public channel, right? And I think that just that analogy or that, that comparison re really ties in well with how we look at blockchain of this decentralized world, right? Um, but this is my two cents. I will, I want to interject anybody who's interested in where I feel like we are right now. Um, watch a movie. I, I, tell, I tell my whole team to watch it. So uh, watch a documentary called General Magic. Uh, and it's about the invention, the true invention of the smartphone, which is actually not Apple. <laughs> um, and so it was, but it happened at a time with some of the brightest, smartest people in Silicon Valley at that time. Can't remember the year. But it was prior to us having any sort of infrastructure that could support this amazing technology invention. And so it likened it to having like a lot of light bulbs, but no power grid. And so if you invent the light bulb before there's a power grid, as amazing as that might be, it's not worth anything because you have no infrastructure to support that amazing innovation. It's literally what happened to the cell phone. You can watch this movie, watch it. It's called General Magic. It's amazing. And that to me is where we are right now. We have all of these like amazing innovations happening, but there's no power grid connecting any of them. And so these standalone applications, these standalone protocols, they just don't have the meaning they have because the infrastructure doesn't exist. Yeah, and you even look at things like NFTs, right? And, you know, people poke fun a lot of, you know, at the crypto kitties of the world and stuff like that. But it's that, how do I create this, this light bulb before the, the power grid, right? So you got people that are innovating on how do we do these types of things? And they they create fun things that, you know, are really cool and get, you know, um, early adopters excited about this. But you look at where that's going and whether that's, you know, managing titles to, to houses or whether that's managing the, the whole ownership of a vehicle for the entire life of that vehicle or whatever it is, right? It's the, the adoption of these 
things like NFTs that are going to be the precursor to what's going to be five, 10 years from now. So, yeah. Another great example of how, like you hear about a sliver of something in the media with, you know, like art projects and things that are, have a lot of interest, but Chris, in the, in the same sentence, you can talk about NFT, like you said, being a car title yeah, or, uh, you know, some, some like maybe much, much, much more boring application, but one maybe arguably with more utility. Um, and so another great illustration of how, like what you hear sometimes in consumer media is really different from like what people need to know about the underlying technology. Right. Great. Thank you for your question, Michael. That was awesome. Um, the next question I'm going to throw over to you, Chris, it's from Jared, and mm -hmm. he wants to know how important are projects like Quant Overledger, Polkadot, and Chainlink in connecting Web 2 and Web 3? Okay, so, you know, like uh, Rosa kind of touched on this a little bit earlier and so, so forth, and they they do some things with regards to generating like web two type interfaces to their blockchain, right? So, you know, they'll, they'll, you'll build your smart contracts or whatever, and then they'll expose those smart contracts generally up as some web two restful API. But what does that mean? Well, you got to run on Polkadot. Doesn't, you know, if you just, if no, I want to interact with ripe.io, which is a supply chain uh, blockchain in, in the food industry, well, doesn't help me out with that, right? If I want to interact with Hyperledger Fabric for food trust, it doesn't help me out or trust your supplier or whatever it is, right? It, it works great if I build my application or my decentralized application in those technologies, works great. And then there was even something like Hyperledger Cactus, which is another interoperability technology that would help to make, say, Hyperledger Fabric talk to Ethereum or whatever, right? It was designed to do that sort of stuff. Well, it just meant that whatever protocol, if, if it doesn't adopt Cactus, then I can't have these things talk to each other. Um, you know, the, the I don't know if they asked, but the diff approach we're taking is, you know, we, we don't really, I hate to say we really don't care. We do care about the technology, but, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's Ethereum or Bitcoin or Hyperledger Fabric or Corda or whatever it is, right? We want to integrate that up into the business process, the business system that you're working within. So we take a little bit of a different approach. You know, again, those that are generating that Web2 interface, it still doesn't do you any good if you can't make, you know, your system talk to that, right? And you talk to some of these mid-sized businesses, they... They don't know what to do with that. Okay, great. It's got an API. What do I do with it? We want to sort of make that, um, you know, very trivial for them to to leverage. So that said, th these these are those protocols that you mentioned. They are trying to solve this problem. Like this is a really big problem. Like how do we integrate, interoperate? How do we make this seem more viable for businesses? Um, you know, th these projects are very important and they're all trying to solve the same problem. Our thesis is just though that there doesn't necessarily need to be another blockchain in the world. Right. There doesn't necessarily need to be a new token. There's enough blockchains out there. Uh, how do we actually allow developers to build on any of them? If they want to integrate Polkadot, they can integrate Polkadot. How can they build on any of them? And then most importantly, how do they integrate them up into their legacy applications? And so, yes, 
Those protocols are awesome. We would love, we will have the ability to integrate those if you need to be. So we are not a blockchain. We do not have a token. Uh, we integrate those solutions. Right. And for those of you that, you know, like me, I come from that enterprise space. I don't see businesses getting off of ERPs anytime soon, right? These companies ha have basically built their businesses around these, right? I mean, even things like QuickBooks, there are small, mid-sized businesses that basically they run off of QuickBooks. They're not getting off of QuickBooks. They're they're going to stick with it. And, you know, it's just the way things are going to be for a while, right? And so how do you, how do you let them continue to work in that world that, their business operates on, but yet participate in this, this wonderful blockchain world. Great. All right. Our next question, I'm going to throw over to you, Rosa. This is also from Jared. He's submitted a lot of great questions. Um, he wants to know, how do we as Web3 evangelists help create the value and urgency for companies to take the leap? Uh, Web3 evangelists, I would say that, you know, I would say that one of the things that I see reflected in this space, which is reflected in a lot of different uh, endeavors that I've been involved with, is let's make sure that I personally feel like being a very hard edged maximalist about any of these technologies is harmful to evangelism as a whole. I think that there needs myself, I can only speak for myself. I mean, I'm not dictating anybody else's behavior, but for myself, I feel like it's much more productive to recognize that we are going to live in a world that's not going to decentralize anytime soon. And that there's businesses and business processes that might remain that way for all of our lifetimes, right? And so how do we move people from this way of thinking about doing business and the value that these things can provide um, in a way that doesn't feel intimidating or threatening um, and that makes it, you know, these people, when a Web3 evangelist says, we're going to disrupt the whole thing, we're going to disrupt your business process, right? I've been working with enterprises enough to know that that is literally like the worst thing you can say to a business. We think disrupt means innovation. They think disrupt means COVID. And it's like the way that we talk to businesses and help them understand that we are augmenting their existing business. We're making their business processes better. And I don't think we do that by spending a lot of time arguing about what decentralization means on Twitter, right? Like, I feel like if there can be more of a cohesive understanding that businesses operate in a completely different mindset and world than this Web3 environment, they're interested, they're excited, they're also very intimidated and a little bit nervous, and rightfully so, because there's a lot of aggression if you don't align with a particular protocol, align with a particular way of thinking, align with a particular, like even way of eating when you're talking to the Bitcoin space. And I think that a little bit more understanding of that businesses need to make a slow transition. We've done a lot of voice of the customer interviews. Um, and one of the things that is, is resounding is that this is a very intimidating space and yeah. they don't even, uh, it's very nerve wracking to try to put your toe into this space. And so having a place where you can just understand that, you know, 
Bitcoin is not a bad word. It's a technology. Blockchain does not mean that I have to fully align with one way of thinking or another. It is a technology that allows uh, businesses to have massive efficiencies, to move the world to a more decentralized place that is better for the world as a whole. I've been in, I've been in enough uh, I've been in enough consulting sessions to know that there are massive business problems out there that are caused by disparate systems and people not being able to collaborate across supply chains, across counterfeit drugs, across you know counterfeit food. There are so many business problems that affect our lives every single day that could be fixed by this technology. So I think it's really important to understand that um, as a Web3 evangelist, <laughs> if you're called to do anything, it's to encourage people to see that there's many different ways of thinking in the world. And this is a, just another way of thinking about kind of doing business. Yep. That would be my, my best advice. I mean, if I'm a business and you, you tell me, hey, I can reduce the amount of time that it takes for you to send money from, from the US to Europe, I can reduce that amount of time and the amount that it costs you as a business when you're transferring you know, millions, if not billions of dollars. That's significant, right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah. if you tell them, oh, well, you got to go and download this wallet technology and you got to have somebody copy and paste a, an address and, and hope that it gets to the right person. Okay. That that's somewhat causes uh, grief to businesses. So yeah. And it's, it, it's what we just did with our lighting product, right? I mean, we're, we're, we absolutely love Bitcoin. We think it's the grandfather, so to speak, of this space. We think it has so many uh, use cases and possibilities and the value of Bitcoin is staggering. And so it's, you know, but rather than focus on, you know, we recognize, we think lightning is the, the thing that is going to drive adoption of Bitcoin because it just makes payments so much faster. It does do that what businesses needed to do, which is making those transactions happen at the speed of a credit card, right? And so that's the promise of lightning, but guess what? Like, okay, so what does that mean to like a day-to-day -day business? What does that mean? Awesome. Okay, so what do I do with that? So we're going to integrate it into QuickBooks, or we already did. And so it's just like, press a button, Lightning is now integrated into QuickBooks. You don't have to think about this massive technology stack that's behind it. We don't do that with anything else that we integrate into our businesses. So it, 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 it just makes it easy and easy to adopt in that kind of way that they can use it in their day-to-day -day business applications that they're used to using for, for many years. Yeah, a lot, a lot of good questions. I appreciate all that thoughtfulness that, that goes into those. Um, Dana, we, it looks like we've maybe got a couple more lined up. Can we get through those quickly while we have time? Yeah, sure. So Chris, I'm going to throw this one over to you. Um, this is an anonymous question, but they asked from a custodial lightning perspective, how is Blockspaces handling the accounting side of the product functionality? Yeah. We're not custodian. Yeah, we're not so. <laughs> custodian. Everything we do is non-custodial. Uh, we we are not a custodial solution. We're a non-custodial solution for Lightning. Um, I think probably in, uh, our amazing Derek from our Lightning team spent quite a bit of time on that a couple of weeks ago. Um, we can put maybe that link in the chat of his whole breakdown, but we are a completely non-custodial Lightning node solution. So yeah, and that's how we deal with it. <laughs> I think Rosa said this at the very beginning, right? It's not your keys. It's not your Bitcoin, right? We yeah. we firmly believe that you should maintain, you know, 
all of your assets, right? We we need to have some, you know, access, some level of access to move those for you in certain cases, but it's at your behest, right? And and you're in control. Um, but from an accounting perspective, basically we we sort of treat that that note as a as a bank account and we make sure that you know anything that's that happens on the note is represented in QuickBooks. Anything that you you do in QuickBooks gets you know pushed through the node. We we do that for you, right? But it's with you involved, right? So you as a customer. Yeah, and non-custodial is a hurdle of understanding that I think is just that's going to come with time. I think that's part of the evolution to this more decentralized world. You know, the fact that the everyday person is like, what does non-custodial mean? And I don't, I don't know who asked that question. So I don't know that you're an everyday person yet. You're a normie <laughs> that we say, but like, just that the fact that I have people all the time, like going, what does that mean? What does non-custodial mean? These are awesome conversations, which by the way, we have just to let you guys know. I mean, I think that this is a great time to even just mention this and do a little pitch. Um, my partner, Gabe and I have been running the Tampa Bay Bitcoin meetup since 2013, 2014 every week um, uh, for the last almost decade, um, longest running and most active uh, Bitcoin meetup in the world. Um, he does that every Wednesday night, um, mostly virtual, but um, every once a month we do it in person. Check it out on meetup.com. These are the types of conversations that they go on till two o'clock in the morning talking about. So th if these sorts of subjects and you wanna like talk about this technology more, meetups are the best place in the world to go. Yep, and Drew just dropped, dropped the link in the chat for everyone if you want to check out the meetup. I think we've got time for one more question. So, Rose, I'm going to throw this one to you. Um, it's from Michael, and he wants to know, is it difficult to find devs and product man product managers with the experience to bring products to a production-ready state, or is it on par with any traditional Web2 talent pool? I would say, I would literally say that this is kind of the melding of the worlds, right? Like you have web three, super innovative web three developers that are doing these innovative products, but they don't know necessarily, <laughs> they don't know necessarily or, or have the experience of how do I bring an actual web two product to market? Is it hard to find devs? I think it's very hard to find devs that have that, that, that breadth of experience in both of those worlds, which is why our team uh, has a, a, a very solid understanding of what it takes to do enterprise grade software uh, combined with a super innovative, hardcore in the weeds uh, R&D team. So I think, I think in this world today, you almost have to just build a team that combines those two worlds. I think over time, we'll have developers that have the, the foot in both worlds. It's going to be a while. And our solution it allows a web to developer uh, to uh, to be able to integrate these technologies without having to uh, have a deep understanding of blockchain. All right. And we're hiring. We're so <laughs> if that's someone who, if you're someone listening, who's up to that challenge, oh, got a lot of roles open. We even have an evangelist role open. We were talking about that earlier. So if that's uh, something you want to help us, uh, you know, get the message out, uh, yeah, come talk to me, come talk to Rosa, our team about that. We'd love to have that conversation. Yeah. So, all right. Well, look, I, I think we're about out of time. So uh, Rosa, uh, Chris, thank you so much for your thank insights you, and you. sharing those today. Um, and thanks to all of you for who are here. Um, thanks you know, for asking questions and making this conversation kind of a, a two-way thing, not just um, a one-way conversation. Really appreciate that. And um, 
Yeah. If you've got a moment to share some feedback, Dana is going to drop a link um, to a quick survey for you. I think you'll see it, Dana, if, correct me if I'm wrong, you'll see it when the webinar ends as well, when, when Zoom ends. Um, but if yeah. you have a moment to share some feedback, that really helps us improve these sessions. Like I said, this is just the second one, but we're doing these every couple of weeks. So we'd love to hear how we can make things better. Um, and then finally, be on the lookout for another interview in AMA uh, coming your way in two weeks. So on Wednesday, uh, December 14th, we're going to talk to um, Gabe Hibbins, our chief, chief uh, blockchain officer and uh, co-founder, about everything that happened with Bitcoin in 2022 and his thoughts on 2023. So I'm really excited for that. So stay he tuned. He can tell you everything that happened with Bitcoin in 2012, too. So that would be, <laughs> it would be a very... Very interesting conversation. <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. No, few few people, you know, Gabe wrote a book about Bitcoin. So um, among other credentials. So yeah, lots, lots of uh expertise and experience to unpack there. So anyway, thanks for joining us. Uh enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you all next time. Thanks for listening to Block Spaces Live. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen. And if this show helped you on your path to building with blockchain then we'd be thrilled if you left us a review while you're there. And remember, to join our live recordings, just head to blockspaces.com slash podcast, put in your email, and we'll send you an invite. See you next time.